Good evening. Good evening. Uh, I'm Michael. I'm here on the staff team at HCC. And if you would like to grab a Bible at the end of your rows, we're going to carry on with our series on uh, Thessalonians. One Thessalonians. Um, Thessalonians is in the New Testament. That's the second half. And you can find it on page 1186. And this letter is it, it, it's basically a writ- letter written as a response um, to a report that Paul has heard about this church in Thessalonica. And the report has been really encouraging. And in chapter 1, which we looked at last week, he, we, we, we were reminded how there had been gospel reception, how people had accepted the gospel. This had been curbed by, by gospel revolution. There's been a change in the believers. And that had been confirmed by gospel radiation. Other people are seeing the gospel and knowing the gospel because of this group of Christians. Now, when we read this next chapter... You're going to be like, if this is all going so well, why is Paul so defensive? He's going to be like, remember this, remember that, why can't you remember? But So what's going on? And the issue is people have come into Thessalonica and they've started to kind of suppress the gospel. They've wanted to kind of cancel it out. They wanted to destroy it. They wanted to stop it flourishing. And the way to do that was to go right to the source And they've been spreading these rumors and these lies about Paul and Silas. They attack the leadership. So when we read through chapter 2, keep that in mind. And then this is what I'm going to try and do. It may go horribly wrong, but this is what we're going to try and do. I'm going to pull out from this passage four leadership principles that Paul shows. And by extension, for all Christian leaders. And the reason I want to frame it like this is is for two reasons. Number one, so that you know what the expectation is that you should have of the leadership of the church you attend. So awkwardly, that's most of you here at HCC, but most of you won't be here for your whole of your lives. And so whatever church you go to, you can know, right, the criteria I was given, do they match up? But the second reason I want to frame it like this is because these principles are built upon truths that apply to all of us, whether in church leadership or not. So here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Here we go. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results, We have previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God. To be entrusted with the gospel, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were just like young children among you. Just as nursing mothers care for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are our witness, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know 
that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judah, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people, the same thing those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Should we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is timeless. And I pray that you would help us now as we think through these principles, that we would see these truths and embed them in our lives. Amen. Okay, right, we're getting straight to it. First principle, Paul and Silas, these were the main people that went into Thessalonica. Paul and Silas were confident of God. Have a look with me at verse one. You know, brothers and sisters, that our first visit to you was not without results, right? So it had been a successful trip. Then you think he's going to say, right, I'm going to list all the reasons it was successful. I'm going to say all the reasons it was successful for you. He doesn't. He talks about himself. Have a look. We had previously suffered, this is verse 2, we'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. That's not a result. We'd previously been suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. Now, the Thessalonian church, they knew they'd been treated appallingly because what happened was Paul and Silas, they went into Philippi, they preached the gospel, they'd suffered and were persecuted, and then they came to Thessalonica. We know this is the case because we read about it in Acts 16. Some of you may have read Acts 16. It talks about how Paul and Silas, the team, they went into Philippi, they preached the gospel. If you haven't read Acts 16 and, and you're not in a rhythm of reading your Bible, can I encourage you tonight, start with Acts 16 and read a chapter a night. It's incredible. The team go into Philippi. They preach the gospel and Lydia, Lydia is this high-powered fashion executive. She becomes a Christian. Then you have this young girl who's enslaved. She's spiritually enslaved. She's owned by these slave masters. It's dark and they come in and they pray for her and they release her and there's freedom. What happens? What happens? What is the first thing that happens when people become Christians? Suffering and persecution. They're beaten and they're thrown in jail. So when he arrives in Thessalonica, because this is what he comes straight from Philippi, he's still got the marks on his body. He's still got the scars open. He says, you know. You know what happened. And there's this cycle, this constant cycle. Now, this is, this is, this is important. Because people become, these, these people become Christians in Philippi, right? He comes into the city, they become Christians, praise the Lord. It's really good. But people become Christians, and the moment people start becoming Christians, suffering and persecution. Then they go to this new city, Thessalonica. What do they do? Preach the gospel. What happens? People become Christians. What happens? Suffering and persecution. This happens time and time and time and time again. 
It's this cycle. You know exactly what's going to happen. You can read through the book of Acts and you know what's going to happen. Acts 13, Antioch. Go into Antioch. Preach the gospel. People become Christians. What happens? Suffering and persecution. Go to Acts 14. Acts 14 is two different cities. They go in, preach the gospel. People become Christians. Suffering and persecution. Move on. Acts 15. Acts 17. You can just read about it and read about it and read about it. So we want to know what is it about Paul and Silas that makes them keep going? Preach the gospel, people become Christians, suffer in persecution every time. What is it? The key is in that hinge word, verse 2. So have a look with me. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But, in spite of all of this, but, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Now, the reason I want us to highlight this is because I don't think we're very good at landing on our God. Because this is what usually is going to happen, right? And I, and I do it all the time, right? You're in a sticky situation. Don't worry. God's got your back. And you know he's got your back because he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. Or we go, you're in a sticky situation. Don't worry. God's got your back. Come up and we'll pray that the Holy Spirit is the great comforter. That's what we usually do, isn't it? Of the Trinity, we're good at, you know, picture Christ on the cross, picture Christ arisen, picture Christ at the wedding. We can all do that, right? Or come up for prayer. You know, I'm going to do that in about 15 minutes. I'm going to say, come up for prayer. No one that wants prayer. But never do we usually say, our God. Never do we just land, our God. Because that takes work. Think about it. If you want to understand God, you have to understand what I am means. Taking time to understand that this is what was written in Ephesians. He predestined us for adoption before the creation of the world. That takes work. What does it mean that God is holy? That takes work. The character, the essence of who God is takes work. So then you might say, well, hold on a minute. That doesn't make any sense. We can never know God. But then why did he reveal all these things in the Bible? Why did he reveal that he is holy? Why did he reveal that he is loving? Why did he reveal that he is just and merciful? Why did he even give his name? I am. Paul and Silas, they know about this God. They understand. They don't understand everything, but they cling to who he is. And the thing is, if you and I, if we aren't confident of who God is, think about what Paul's going to write to the Romans a couple of years later. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He's confident of God. He knows his character. He knows his name. He knows who this being is. This is not just some mystical being that we've now kind of somehow come into relationship with, you know, through Jesus on the cross. How How can you and I be confident if we don't try and grasp these things, if we don't seek after him? So that's the first principle of their leadership. They're confident of God. The second is this, they're confident of their status before God. Paul's going to do this really interesting thing to combat what these people are saying. It's a well-known kind of philosophical 
critique. Right? He's going to say three things of what he's not, and then say one thing that he is. He does this twice. We're just going to look at one of them. Have a look with me at verse 3. For the appeal, right? For, for the gospel that I brought to you, we make does not spring from error, impure motives, or we're trying to trick you. The message doesn't come from error. Now, I get a lot of things wrong a lot of the time. I got things wrong this morning. I got a lot of things wrong at church while I was leading. I got a lot of things wrong after the service as well, but, you know, they'll email. <laughs> but, but, you know, so we get lots of things wrong. So this is, not what he's, but this is not what he's talking about. He's talking about the message. He's talking about untruthfulness. He says he didn't come and I changed the message to fit the city. You'd expect him to, wouldn't you? He's just been beaten up. He's just been put in prison. Doesn't change the message. We didn't tweak it. We didn't twiddle it. We preached it clearly. So I didn't come. I didn't come with this untruthfulness. Next, I didn't come with impure motives. I didn't come to make money that you would buy into what I'm saying. A classic thing is, isn't it, you know, you know as, 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 as I have served you, as your leader, as I have served you, so you serve me financially. There's a good little ring to it there. As I have served you, you should serve me financially. <laughs> that will go on the website. <laughs> right. But that, he's saying, no, 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 no. I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. There's no accountability. You know, because we often talk about giving, don't we? Giving to the church. You know, some people say, well, 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 hold on a minute. How is this? How is this different? Well, I bet some of you are asking, why on earth are we part of the Church of England? Which well, so that you can go on the Southwark Diocesan website and you can find out exactly how much stipend Jago and I and Jamie are all receiving. Not impure motive. And that's what he's saying here. Hold on a minute. Hold on. I didn't come and ask for your money. I came to give you a message, and then you would give the message to someone else. Finally, I didn't come to try and trick you. You might hear people saying, follow Jesus and everything will be perfect. No suffering, no pain, no spiritual warfare. Sit back and enjoy all the pleasures this world offers. Now look, I believe that Christ came to give life and life to the full. I believe he came to free the captives. I believe it all. I also believe that he calls us to pick up our cross and follow him, that there is a narrow path. And I would be tricking you if I said it's either one or the other, that Jesus Christ has come to give you every luxurious item you've ever dreamed of in your sick, free life, or Christ has come to condemn you forever and ever and you've got to do, 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 do and hope you make it. Both are trickery. Paul's saying, I didn't come with any of that. I just came with the gospel. So what did Paul and Silas, how do they combat these accusations? Have a look at me at verse 3. On the contrary... We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. To combat what these people are saying, he says, we're approved by God. God tests our hearts. Now, the natural question that I would then ask is, hold on a minute. Anyone can say that and do anything. I'm not doing it for the people. I'm doing it for God. That doesn't make sense. 
How's he going to get out of this one? Well, have a look through the whole passage. We're going to skim through the whole passage really quickly, right? Verse one, first two words, you know. Verse five, first two words, you know. Verse nine, surely you remember. Verse 10, you are witnesses. Verse 11, for you know. How do you think we acted? In error? With impure motives? Or did we try and trick you? Or... Did we come as if we we're going to be judged by God? As those approved by God? How did we act? And now he's not saying to the people, you are the judge, God is the judge. But he is saying, in what manner did I act? And he calls on them to remember. Because it is important for them to remember. But at the heart of what he's saying is, I never lived like that. How these people are saying, I never lived like that. It's not them who define me. It's not these labels. It's God. And this is particularly important for church leaders. Because as you're tested, it's who are you about? Who are you for? Is it for God or is it for you? I stand in front of you. For, you know, I stand up in front of you. You don't think at the back of my mind, I'm like, what would they like to hear? Am I loved by God? Am I called by God? Am I adopted by God? Am I transformed by God? Do I really know my prayers are being heard by God? And then, how do I act? As if I'm seeking your approval or God's approval. That's what he's saying. And at the, at the toughest times, it's when there's an attack going on. Who am I living for? I'm going to tell you a story. Apparently, it's the cool thing to do. And, um, uh, and, 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 it's, and it's kind of complex, but I hope it kind of unpacks this a little bit. In my previous church, there was a lot going on in the kind of, the church was going through a massive transition and there was lots of tribes and it was all a little bit messy. And I, and I, you know, and I'm, you know, I think that I get on with everyone and, and I was like the guy, you know, bringing everything together. Anyway. Um, and so, and, and, and I was having a really difficult day, like a really difficult day. So I, we, it was my first, um, many of you will know kind of these kind of emotive, uh, difficult situations, but it was my first horrific funeral. Uh, it was a 12-year-old girl, cancer. Church was packed, 400 people. Whole school were there, all the parents. And I do this service, and the father really wanted it in the church because him and his daughter used to come at Christmas. And the mother... Um, basically was really angry and justified. And so, did, and I remember, I mean, sorry off piece, but yeah, it was, it was horrible. And I do my, have to wrap it all up with a three minute sermon and finish, say goodbye. And I remember going home, crawling into bed. I wept for 45 minutes, got out of bed, showered, and then went to Alpha. Become a Christian. And we at the time had this, um, had volunteers that cooked. Now I, I'm, try, I'm trying to check my heart about what happened next. But the truth is, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't ready. I wasn't in the headspace. But I'd obviously went into the kitchen and I'd said to these cooks, thank you so much for cooking. That's so kind. You don't need to stay. You know, you should go. Um, and yeah, 
the, so anyway, so a couple of days later, I hear, you know, think about this, this is the week that I've had. Say to these, I hear that these two ladies um, are angry with me because they felt dismissed, right? They felt I was short with them. So I was like, well, I get on with everyone, so it's just a phone call. And so I, I, I call up Gloria, I mean, uh, I call up Louder, and... Um, <laughs> Call up Gloria, and I, we've all, I've gone it, I've done it now. Now, this is a lady who's been at the church between, uh, over eight years. She sings in our, we have a gospel choir, she sings in our gospel choir. She is committed enough that she's volunteering, right? This is not just, you know, call her, and I say, and I, and I want to be honest, I say, you, you, you are right, I'm trying to learn, and I am so sorry that you felt that I was dismissive, and I probably was, I don't even remember, I'm so sorry. Will you, will you forgive me? And then she said this. She said, you are a cancer of this church and God will never use you. Yeah, that's what she says to me down the phone. And I go, you know, I'm a crier anyway. I'm like, I'm just bawling. And, and then I said to her, I said, no, 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 Gloria, no, no, please. I think you've misunderstood. And this, this is why I bring this up because in my head I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to try and fix this because this is about me, obviously. And I'm going to try and fix this. So I said, no, 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 no. I mean, I know that you've tried to make a point and I know you've tried to cut me, but you've cut me really deep. And she said, I'm going to keep cutting because I don't think you bleed like that. And then I said to her, then for some reason, I thought it was a good idea to try and engage with this. And so for the next 45 minutes, I sat through what I can only describe as kind of this beration of hate about my character um, why I'm there in the church, what I'm doing in the senior leadership team, um, the fruit that I'm seeing, uh, and that no one will come to know Jesus through my ministry while I'm at St. James's. So I put the phone down. It was at that moment where I'm like, why am I doing this? You, know, you, know, you, do, you think, don't you? You just kind of go, right, I've got nothing left to cling to. Who am I? Who Am I? Is it true? Yeah, is, is, is what she's saying about me true? And you have to dig deep. No, I don't think it's true. I asked a number of people, you know, to follow up. You don't, do you? You ask. But deep down, you've got to know for sure. Who am, who, who am I? And the reason I bring this up is because I think for some of us, we genuinely don't know. We don't know our status before God. We don't know we're adopted. We don't know we're loved. We don't know we're cared for. We don't know that he hears our prayers. We just think this is the Sunday bit. That's why I'm pushing this just a little bit harder than, you know, maybe we like. Because actually, do you know, if someone said all that to you, or if, you know, you went through a rocky patch, what would you cling to? Anyway. There we go. Right, so these leadership principles, confident of God, confident of their status before God, and then the third is confident of suffering. Now, that sounds really heavy. And I'm not comparing what I've just said to you as suffering, but let's think of that cycle we've just seen. Preach the gospel, people get saved, suffering and hardship. Some of us have been part of this church uh, for a while, and over the last year there's been this picture, I don't know if some of you have heard us talk about it, about... A number of people have had it, of kind of HCC being, being this ship 
in, in, in the ice, you know, breaking through the ice, breaking new ground. Does that, does that, does that ring a bell? Does everyone kind of know what I'm talking about? And, you know, kind of, you know, taking new ground. And it's HCC being this boat breaking through the diocese. That's what the kind of big picture was. And everyone's been like really excited. Woohoo! You know, we're a boat. And I'm like, that's the worst picture ever. <laughs> everyone's excited about it. I'm like, do you know what picture we really want? Straight road, sun setting, convertible, wind in the hair, 100 miles an hour going like that. That's what we really want. Everyone's like, a boat. I'm like, why do we want to be a boat, God? And the reason is because we're going to preach the gospel. And that doesn't mean that it's like, straight road. It's going to be tough. You see, if it was easy for the church, if it was, you know, if it was easy for this Christian leader, as we read through the New Testament, if there was no pushback, if there's no pressure being exerted, if there's no dissenting voices in the background calling for us not to break through, then according to Paul and Thessalonians and the early church, maybe we're just not doing it right. There is this outside force given when the gospel is at work. Now, we have to be very careful, okay, because we are unbelievably fortunate to live in this country. We prayed about it, didn't we? We are unbelievably fortunate. And there is, of course, increasing pressure in our country, and some of you may have experienced that, to limit our Christian faith. But there are genuine people who are suffering and persecuted, and there is a call to suffer Christ suffered. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, some of the early church fathers would say. We're excluded from government, family, state. It's not just merely the leadership. Have a look at me at verse 14, right? We've seen that Paul and Silas have this again and again and again and again. But what does he say to the actual Christians? Verse 14. For you, right, Thessalonian Christians, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's church in Judah. So there's two churches at play here, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same thing those churches suffered from the Jews. Two churches both suffered. They both suffered. Now, I'm going to show us a little video. And what I don't want is for this whole talk to become about persecution and suffering. That's not what I want. What I want us to do is I want us to watch this. And in your mind, I want you to go, what would I write in response to this? Okay? Five countries are going to come up. What would you write in response to this? Should we try, give it a go? Christians are not the only people to be persecuted. Let's just quickly pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for all people who would desire hate, who would desire violence against humanity, against your world. We pray for justice. We pray for peace. We pray for honest, honest conversations about what is going on. Be with all those who mourn. Amen. But the question still remains. What would you write 
to those churches. You're writing a letter to North Korea, to Somalian Christians. What do you write? What does Paul write? Paul gives thanks. He gives thanks for the gospel that they've received. He gives thanks for the gospel himself. Look at that verse too. We have previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. But, right, don't look at my scars. Don't look at my pain. Don't look at my suffering. Look at the gospel and what the gospel is doing in my life. That's the fourth leadership principle. They are confident. Paul and Silas are confident of the gospel at work in their lives. Even in the face of this. Confident. Confident of the gospel at work in their lives. See, they're not making suffering the main point, but the gospel at work. And he uses himself as an example. Have you ever been in a situation where it's like, I just feel totally overwhelmed with everything. And then you hear someone else's testimony. And you're like, oh, I've been inspired. That's what he's trying to do here. Have a look with me at verse 8. So we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Now, this only grammatically makes sense if it is the gospel and the gospel in our lives as well. I share with you the gospel and the gospel at lives in our lives as well. He's so confident that the gospel has hold of him, that the gospel is changing him, he's willing to share his life as an example of the gospel at work. And then he expands it in verse 13. Have a look just down the page with me. We also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, right? that's not just the Bible, that's the message, the message which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human words. This is not just a human message, but it is actually the word of God. This is the great message, the good news, the gospel, which is indeed at work in you who believe. You receive this message. Not just the human message, but the great, glorious, good news, the gospel. And it is at work in you who believe. It was Paul is saying it was a work in me, it was a work in Silas, and it's a work in you. These are leaders who are confident that the gospel is at work in our lives. So these are the four leadership principles you should expect. That they are confident of God, confident of their status before God, confident of suffering, but they are confident of the gospel at work in their lives. These principles can be heard and they can be rejected. They are foundational aspects that will support our growth. Look, there is an easier way. There's an easier way. You can just forget all of this and we can just go back to doing Sundays. But if we want to desire and be confident in God, if we want to be confident of our status before God, if we want to know that we're adopted and loved and forgiven and ransomed and healed and restored... Because the problem is so many people are just going to fail. We're just going to be so tied up in our world. We're going to face suffering. We're going to face blessing. and be like, I've got no one to turn to. Many of us, it breaks our hearts when we watch about the persecuted Christians. But all of us have to stand up for the gospel in our family, in our home, in our work. And it will be hard. And then finally, for many of us, we hear about the gospel being at work in Paul and Silas's life and the Thessalonians' life, and we are really encouraged. 
The gospel is at work, and I can tell you in the little things and some of the big things. Can I encourage you, if that's you, to write it down? Because there'll be a time where you go, I just don't feel anything. Brilliant, you can go back to it. This is, this is where the gospel's been at work in my life. Write it down. Cling to it, because it's, because it's what's been at work. But for others of us, this just seems like a foreign concept. Either because we don't know Jesus, or because we know Jesus, and actually we just, it's just not at work in our lives. We had a picture of this, of this of, of, of winter ending and this kind of shoot with a bud, spring. And for many of us, it's like we've just been in winter. We might have been coming to church for years and there's been no fruit. We hear the vision of every life bearing fruit for Jesus and we're just like, that sounds pathetic in our hearts. We don't say it out loud, obviously. Because <laughs> we just go, this gospel's not at work. So look, can I, what we're going to do is we're going to finish, we're going to worship, we're going to respond. And what I would really like to do is, maybe there have been a whole host of things that you'd like to pray for you, but I think that there are two particular ones. Number one, being confident in the status that you have before God. This is not just arbitrary thoughts. This is who you are. And then secondly, confident of the gospel at work in our lives. And for some of you, you just want to pray, Lord, increase that. And for others of us, you know, you know. Let's not just be honest with yourself. It's not. Not at work in my life. And I'm going to encourage us, some of us who have never come up for praying, to pray with others, Make that decision. Yeah, I'm making a decision. I'm going to step forward and ask someone to pray for me, to say, this isn't going right. This is, this is just not, I'm not on the right track here. I'm on the freeway doing 100, and the wind is fantastic. So can I invite you to stand? I'm going to invite the worship band up. I'm going to leave us just a couple of minutes, a couple of moments of um, silence, just for us to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your gospel is alive and it is at work for all, in all of those who ask it to be. I thank you that we can be confident in the character and the majesty, sovereignty and power and holiness of our God. And that because of Jesus Christ, we can be confident of our status before you. And that though we may be confident that there may be suffering and hard times ahead, that we can be confident of the gospel at work in our lives.